Welcome back to the program in our book talk segment today. Great to welcome a woman who's written a very interesting book, a very thought-provoking book as well. It's called Once Upon a Time We Ate Animals, The Future of Food. We're joined today by Roanne Van Voor. She's a well-acclaimed anthropologist, and it kind of goes into uh, uh, the world and uh, food supply and uh, whether we uh, will eat animals or eat uh, uh, meat, I guess, in the future and uh, what we can do about it and maybe make some changes along the way. And she's here to join us to uh, talk about the book for a few minutes. And Rowan, uh, great to talk with you. How are you? I'm well. I'm, I'm in Amsterdam where I live and work and it's already dark here. So it's uh, starting to get evening and also we're in full lockdown. So this is a great opportunity to do interviews because I'm stuck inside anyhow. I was going to ask you, I know uh, the, the book said you live in Amsterdam. I wasn't sure maybe you were in the States for doing the interview. So you are over there today. Okay. Uh, I, I'm sorry to hear about the lockdown part. I know that's I going on a lot over and uh, all over the world, I guess, isn't it? Oh yeah, well we'll live through it. You know, it's winter, so it's kind of cozy inside. <laughs> is it? Is it that part of the world? It, it's dark uh, many hours more of the day uh, in the winter, right? Than maybe where, where we are, right? Isn't it dark like sixteen hours a day or more? Uh, it's not as bad as it is in Scandinavian countries, for example. But you know, again, like four to five p.m., it starts to get a little bit dark, and now it's seven. I'm looking outside, and it's really dark. Okay. And then when I get up in the morning, I have a one-year-old, so I get up at like five thirty, unfortunately, and then it's also dark. So, okay, well, it's the same way know, here. Yeah, uh, not too bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a chance wow. to, to read through the book, Rowan, and really, I was I was interested in it when we heard the, you know that it was available to talk with you and and kind of to get some of the insight into this because we're always hearing the last few years about uh, uh, sustainability of the food supply and uh, and 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 you talk about. Uh, uh, climate change and all that, how that's affecting the, the food supply, whether whatever causes climate change, who, who knows, but it is still affecting uh, how we live and how we will live. So, But your book is kind of interesting in a way. It looks back at uh, from the future to the back as opposed to looking toward the future. So it's kind of a different way of putting it together. And it, how did you come up with that? Yeah, I think, you know, what I was missing in the discussion is we, we kept having those normative discussions of people saying, well, we need to become totally vegan. And people said, no, it's good to, you know, continue just eating a little bit of meat or whatnot. And I thought, you know, I think for a lot of us, we have a lot of information. And I think most people know that there is a relationship between the food industry and especially large scale industrial farming and emissions and the, the environment and climate changes. And we also know that you know, the old days with romantic farmers with just a few chickens and sheep and pigs. Uh, that's the deception nowadays. Like, it's really a different thing to be a fisherman. And everything has scaled up. And everything is just so pressured for so many people. Um, so we know that. And I think, nevertheless, we continue to eat meat. Because it's just really hard to shift for one, um, something that you like doing and something that you've learned that you needed for your health. I was learned, I was taught that by my teachers, by my parents, by my doctors. And sure. it's only the past five years that we've learned like, oh, you don't really need dairy in order to stay healthy, but that's new. Um, but what I was missing was, okay, so say that we would altogether eat less animal protein. How would the world look like? Show me how that would work. And I couldn't find anything on that. And so I decided to do it myself. I'm a trained anthropologist and also a trained futurist. So I'm, I'm good at making scenarios that are actually realistic based on literature, on interviews, on trends that I observe. And then I really, being an anthropologist, I always find it fascinating. Okay, 
what if we would be there? Imagine that that is the case in 20 years from now. What will that do to our friendships, to our romantic relationships, to our kitchens, to the economy? And I researched more and more, and I did more and more interviews, and then eventually I wrote this book. Yeah. Hopefully with all the answers. And you provide a lot of you know, thought-provoking like you said, answers and uh, and uh, conjectures in, in the book. And I think, uh, and, and you really kind of point out in the last 15, 20 years or so, uh, you know, with the, the food industry, particularly when you hear about how, uh, you know, meat is uh, processed as opposed to maybe when our parents or grandparents basically ate it uh, relatively pure. Maybe they hunted it or it just wasn't as processed as yeah. it is now. I think I think that's a big part of it, isn't it, when, when it comes to a meat and chicken and uh, and any kind of, you know, animal protein, the way it's processed is, is really bad. Absolutely. And, and, you know, there's so much problems nowadays with the antibiotics they give the, the animals, etc. And I also think when, when my grandparents were still, you know, young, they would eat much less meat, right? They would eat it some days a week. And right. the pieces were much were less big as well. So for them, it was really something special. They couldn't afford a lot. And so now it has become the norm to do it, you know, three times a day, uh, every day of the week. And sometimes I think if we look at the future, perhaps we should just go a little bit back, you know, back to the old days where it was still something special. But then nowadays we luckily also have plant-based alternatives, which makes it even more easy to do so. So we, we can go back for a bit and then cherry pick the best from the now as well. And then, you know, create a future in which it's all just a little bit more kind. And, and again, you're, you're not talking, uh, and, and you, you pointed out in the book, just for the people listening, you're not uh, saying that we all have to uh, be vegans, because you even point out in the book uh, a lot of vegan food is not necessarily healthy, right? No, because I want to I wanna debunk some myths, and some of the myths are like, oh, human beings have always eaten meat. Well, you know, that's simply not true. For large parts of human history, we've been vegetarians, and you can see that if you look at our teeth. You know, if you would encounter a cow on the street and you didn't wear weapons on you, then I wish you good luck with, you know, eating that cow. We're not built to do that. Right. But we started to eat lots of meat when we invented weapons. So that's one of the myths. But another one is that, you know, a vegan diet is necessarily healthier than a non-vegan diet. That's also nonsense. Because you could live of potato chips and vodka, which are both vegan, but that's not healthy for you. So, you know, it demands a bit of common sense, sometimes a Google search or two. Um, it is true that most of the vegans are generally speaking a bit more healthy than people who eat a lot of meat. But we don't know necessarily how that is. We do know that vegetables are really good for you. And if you don't eat meat and you still want to fill your plate, then automatically you eat more veggies and fruit. But, you know, there are unhealthy options in the vegan diet as well. So I just want to be really honest about what is the state of the art of the literature? What do we know? And what is just being repeated on social media, but is really unproven yeah. so that readers can make their own decisions about how they want their future to look like. And uh, the point you make in the book is uh, getting people to I mean, not necessarily change their minds right away, but to at least uh, look into it. I guess that's the biggest uh, obstacle, right? Uh, getting people to um, you know look at the alternatives as opposed to saying, no, I'm going to keep going the way I'm going. Yeah, I think 
a lot of the time people assume, and perhaps I did so too, that things are natural. Like, oh, but we've always done it this way. You know, this is natural to human beings. Or it's necessary. Like, we need this in order to be healthy. We need the dairy in order to get the protein. All of these things are not true. You know, the majority of research shows very clearly that it's not true. And so what I want people to see, perhaps that was my only goal, because I'm not an activist, I'm an anthropologist. But I want people to see it's not a necessary nor a natural thing to eat animals. It's a cultural norm that we have invented. It's a practice. It's a choice. And so if that's the case, then you can also experiment with creating a new norm, right? right. And as soon as people see that, then it becomes easier to experiment with it. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time today. Hopefully, we can talk again in the future. But the name of the book, again, is Once Upon a Time We Ate Animals, The Future of Food. We've been talking with Roanne Van Voorst today. And Roanne, do you have a website you want to direct people to to get more information on the book? Yeah, that would be wonderful. My website is roannevanvoorst.com, and they can also find me on Instagram at roannevanvoorst. Great. We'll also put a link as well on our website. But, Roanne, pleasure talking to you. And, uh... Keep, uh, keep warm over there in Amsterdam, and we'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. But thanks for being with us. Thanks so much. I'm Stan Brock. 30 years ago, I formed Remote Area Medical to help people overseas. But then we found generations of families in America isolated by poverty from the health care they need. Together, we can take dental, vision, and medical help to a million adults and their kids right here at home in the United States of America.